for listening to Black Women Are Scary, the podcast that celebrates people of color writing in horror. We're trying something new this year and following up our story episode with our author conversations. Our featured author this month is Nadine Tomlinson, who wrote The Metamorphosis of Marie Martin. So let's lean in and listen to some scary black women. Rockets for yourself. I'm sure you have some like you're living at George Jetson mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm gonna launch right into these these wonderful questions I have for you. Or I hope they're okay. wonderful. I hope you like them. Yes, uh, I really I, do. <laughs> I really wanted to ask you the kind of questions that you wanted to talk about. So and I love the metamorphosis of Ray Martin so much. Thank um, you. I love it so much. I was, I just remember reading it and being so surprised at all of it. Like every time I thought, I think this is what's going on. I was like, oh no, it's this. Oh no, it's this. And the way it moves back and forth, you know, through time. So your story uh, is centered in transformation, right? I mean, this metamorphosis in the title um, and just how horrible and also how beautiful that is. Like, can you share a little bit about what metamorphosis means to you? So when when I think of metamorphosis, right away transformation comes to mind. Um, and personally, I think it's an important process. Hmm. You know, um, one that can lead to my own personal growth and development. And um, what comes to mind also immediately are the stages that a caterpillar goes through to become hmm. a butterfly. And Right before the pandemic, I remember coming across a cocoon on about three or four different occasions. Yeah. Yeah. That was special to me because, you know, I've always seen caterpillars and butterflies, but never a cocoon. Yeah, never the cocoon. (laughs) Right. So um, I was able to observe part of that process and it was really pretty cool and it reinforced to me um, how dramatic the, the process is because when you think about it it's a literal shedding of the body mm. so that one creature can can transform and emerge as another and what I learned from it is that change is painful and mm-hmm. it isn't easy but it's necessary and um I'm not I wouldn't say that I I welcome change but um sometimes it's it's not easy for me to accept some aspects of it. But what I do um try to focus on is that if the experience is something that can cause me to emerge stronger, wiser, more creative, more joyful then I see it as a way to leave my comfort zone and to to evolve. So so that is what metamorphosis means to me. It's it's an opportunity 
for me yeah. to, to grow and to evolve, even though it isn't easy. Right. Yeah, no, I appreciate the part where it isn't easy. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of things where you see transformation is either just the worst, yeah. <laughs> you know, someone transforms, <laughs> someone transforms into a monster and it's terrible or, you know, a change happens and it's, it's kind of glorious or they know that it's going to be great. And what's great, what's feels familiar about yeah. Marie is that she is so inconvenienced by this metamorphosis. Exactly. <laughs> she is so put out and so annoyed. She was in the middle of doing things and right. she is just so frustrated. And I'm like, that is the truth. That is what it feels like. This wonderful thing comes and you have to figure out how to make the best of it. But in the beginning, you're just pissed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, just, so unexpected and you know really just turning your world upside down Mm. yeah and stopping you you know mid-stride in in whatever it was that you were doing that you felt was important you know um so tell us about the decision to write in patois uh did you feel any apprehensions or anxieties about this Has, has there ever been a pushback when you write in patois so, so no apprehensions at all because Patwa is my mother tongue. It's mm. it, it's a part of me, and uh, thankfully so far I haven't experienced any pushback. Mm. Um, when I was drafting the story, um, I I knew that I wanted her to speak in Patwa because that. That is her authentic voice, and I try my best to stay true to my characters. Um, but then I noticed that when I try to write the general narrative in standard English, that the story kept stalling, mm. and so mm-hmm. I realized that I needed to switch things up, and so I I just made the decision to write everything in in patwa because it's from her perspective and right i i wrote it in a close third person so it's um it's i noticed that it's it's the story started to work better when mm. i made that when i made that change and you know the thing with writing is that it really surprises you because even though you're in control sometimes it's like the character just takes things yeah in a different you know in, in another direction so when i noticed this you know a story or a piece darling i just stop and just think about okay um just being as fluid as possible mm. with with the process yeah yeah right, right and and also um the decision to write in in patchwork it it felt comfortable you know I felt really free doing it because yeah you know other Jamaican authors whom I admire like Nicole Dennis Ben and Ty Miller and Marlon James they include Patwa in their novels and short stories you know and they are award-winning authors you know so I said to myself Mm -hmm. if they can do it right I can do it too you know you know it really gave me 
um, that that freedom. Yeah. Express in that way, right? Yes, and it made a difference. Um, yes. As a reader, you know, just <laughs> the inherent humor. I don't know if it would have been oh. as funny if mm. it wasn't written in Mesmer. <laughs> there's just certain. There's just certain. I think there's a certain kind of humor amongst oh. the characters that I understood or felt because I felt, you know, I felt like I was like a fly on the wall in their in their living room or in their in their home, hearing these women talk to each other, and it, you know, reminded me of women in my family and the and the way we speak when we're together. So it felt, I don't know, there's just, there's, it's kind of hard to describe because it's not, I'm not Jamaican, but like it, I just remember thinking if this was written in a way where it's Patois when the characters are speaking, but then the, the, then, you know, those sort of like omniscient narrative voice is standard English. Mm. This whole thing just would have felt differently and it would have, I would have been outside of it as opposed to it being, you know, like first person, like you said, um, or uh, what do you say, like close, closer. Close yeah, where I just felt like I was inside of her head and, you know, I, this is happening to me and all. So then this distance between myself and, and Marie and her daughter and her mom and her, like the whole community, the entire family and what was at stake, just like that closed that distance. Um, and, and it wasn't I, like I didn't understand what was going on, you know. It's like <laughs> I don't speak; I can read, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I get it. <laughs> and you know, when um the the young lady who who read the story, hmm. who did the audio version, yeah, Bethany. Um, yes. Um, even though she isn't Jamaican, right? Um, I think she did such a wonderful job of capturing the voice and you know the, the the heart of the story I really enjoyed listening to it you know? oh good I'm so glad um yeah you know I was looking it was not easy to find somebody who could yeah. do it and I and I also knew that it was very important mm. we found someone who at the very least had some experience in reading in Patois and felt like you said like could get the voice down mm -hmm. could like they felt yeah. comfortable there yeah. um if not you know just being a Jamaican voice yeah. actor <laughs> like um I, but uh it, it like it couldn't be said you this story demands that you be inside of it so you have to be inside of it you know yeah I was impressed I, I, I was really impressed because and I I know that it probably couldn't have been easy too you know um but she really did. She really did a great job. So oh, she's going to be that. happy to hear that. <laughs> she, she's going to be happy to hear that because it meant a lot. You know, she, it was important to her to get this. Um, yeah. yeah. To get this right. And and she loved the story as well. So we both, yeah. we wanted to honor. We yeah. all wanted to honor what was what you, your words, essentially. Thank, thank um, you. And it's also just really exciting to see, you know, I, I asked this question because I feel like it's always a choice for, you know, writers of any of the African diaspora, but many diasporas, you know, this kind of like choice to code switch, if you will, even yeah. though I'm not really sure that like this counts under code switching, because like you're saying, this is the language I grew up speaking, but still, you know, that you have this like 
quote unquote standard English, which is kind of a loaded term anyhow. Mm-hmm. And then when when authors are like, I'm going to write the way I grew up speaking or the way people speak in my family, in my community, and whatever political external factors like play into that, you know, whether you care about them or not, you know, it's still like you have to be conscious that I'm going to do this and I'll submit this around and there might be some publications that just won't know what to do with it. Exactly. Right. Cool. Code switching is it's important and it's it's necessary because you know even though patwa is um, our mother tongue we can't really speak it every you know in in every situation or on every at every occasion um, so you, you really have to know when when to use it. You, mm. we, we wouldn't go to like a certain conference and you mm. know start start speaking it, but at the same time, um, you you do you do have functions where you know the the MC will code switch and we'll understand it's 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 not even something that has to be taught, mm. but you know we we know we know when. When to use it, and that is what Marie was trying to impress on um, on um, Precious's. That's what she was trying to impress. Yeah, on, I remember on, that on, on, on Precious. Yeah, because yeah. Um, you do have some Jamaicans who who don't. Well, let me just say, I I I met a young lady who's. You know, she was sharing um, that her her parents didn't allow Patra to be spoken in the home. And it wasn't until, I think, mm. after she had left high school that she really felt that freedom mm. to speak it, you know. so um, mm. Yeah, no, it's real. It, it's it, a real it, it happens. thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for everyone. I, I mean, that part where she says that, where she's like, speak this way because people will judge you. Yeah. If you if you speak patois, you know, I feel like we've all had that conversation with our parents at some point. Right. Um, you know, there was a time my mother will still bring it up, like when I came home and was like, "Don't speak Spanish to me," and when you come pick me up from school, like oh. she'll still bring that up. And I was like, "Ma, you don't understand. Like, wasn't anything against you. I had to figure out how to survive, and those kids were mean, and they would never let you would come, and then they would just never leave me alone about it." Yeah. So, you know, you just do these things. It wasn't like I stopped. It was just kind of like, I can't do this. I can't show this part of myself in front of people. Mm, mm. In front of like certain people, right? And so what you were mm. saying, like when you can do it and when just listening to you right now, speaking of that woman who, when did she feel free to speak Patois? It's like, when did I start to like, just speak Spanish mm. regardless of what anybody said about it you know <laughs> like, like and I'm like yeah it was probably around the same time like first you don't to kind of keep your head down then you don't all the time because you're out of practice and you don't want relatives to to make fun of you for all the words you forgot oh. and then you kind of like yeah then you go to college and you're sort of like on your own and you're like I'm gonna just do what I want to do <laughs> because it doesn't I don't know, you're in a different environment, you're coming into your own, but you also realize like maybe none of it really mattered or, you know, 
I think probably it was more of a necessity thing. What really happened was that I, I was able to get jobs because I was bilingual. Then you start to, mm. the, whole, the context of it changes, right? And then this other language you speak becomes an asset. Exactly. And then yeah. you realize, and then you're like, oh, this was never anything that I had to hide. Right, right. And, you know, um, well, I, I learned this last year because I, I think that Jamaican, well, let me just, let me just continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it, I think, I think it's still in beta. I, I didn't check recently, but I learned last year that Haitian Creole, um, mm. is being taught, um, on du- Duolingo. I think that's that's just so cool, you you know, that it's it's being recognized as as a language that it's been accepted. Yeah. I I would really love for that to happen for for Jamaican people. But I guess baby steps. (laughs) Yeah. And there's always like a push and pull to that, right? Like there's a reclamation, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to make this language available people are, and you have like generations who've maybe been cut off from it, who can learn it. But then you also have people outside who mm-hmm. now have access yes. to something that you maybe feel is personal. I say this only because it's like, you know, there was a time if anybody came over and saw and like knew about Dia de los Muertos and us celebrating that in any way, they would have been like, what is that? That's demonic. Um, and then uh, and then Disney makes a movie called Coco and mm-hmm. everybody understands what it is, right? Yeah. And now there's like ofrendas downtown and Dia de los Muertos processions happening all the time. I mean, like every year and everybody can come yeah. and everybody does come and they pull their phones out and they take their pictures of their ofrendas and all the things and take pictures of like ancestor altars. And it makes me feel so weird. Exactly. Like, and yeah. I was like, this is the craziest thing. Like the thing that like, if you had told me that when I was a kid, I might've been like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then like, as I'm standing inside of it, I almost kind of feel like, oh, but now I don't want you to know. <laughs> I don't want you to, it's the weirdest like tug of war inside of me. So I do wonder. But it's a, it's a sacred festival, you know? Um, yeah. So there is the, I mean, Disney highlighting it, but then there's also the danger of commodifying, you know. Well, yeah, so I just kind of feel the same way about like, oh, Creole is on, Haitian Creole is on Duolingo. And then like, what about like, you know, the future where everybody is taking that class and they all want to yeah. go, you know, like, or like, you know, Patois is on um, someplace, you know, on YouTube or something like really. <laughs> really accessible and then everybody's doing it and when they go on vacation they speak it you know like that where people might be thinking it's like I'm accepting and I'm learning about but like that weird space of yeah you are but also I feel weird you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. also like don't do it (laughs) (laughs) like I don't want to hear it like that weird I don't know it's like a it's like a gray area of like how do you respectfully engage engage with other people's cultures Mm -hmm. right when you can have access that way when you're both being invited but like where's the line where do you know when do you know you've crossed the line exactly yes yes I guess what you're saying yeah it's a little 
Because it's like, can it's, I learn? It's tricky. It's, it's yeah, tricky. It's, yeah. It's, it's tricky. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking of some words and phrases that Jamaicans shouldn't really say to another Jamaican because they yeah. could get themselves in serious trouble. So, so yes, I think if they're learning, you know, just so that they can communicate, mm. um, sign, but not <laughs> like the things that they have uh, a right then to to um, use it all the time because mm. Mm. yeah, you 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 can cross the line if if you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, It's, I think it happens with everything. You know, I feel reading this, it it made me think of, you know, some, this effort that began with Zora Neale Hurston, right. Where she's Mm -hmm. like, I want to write the way black people in America speak. I'm going to write the Mm -hmm. way we speak and like putting, making that literature and saying like, this is literature, this is high art. And then, you know, you fast forward to these conversations that get, can get pretty heated about who's allowed to use uh you know black people slang and who isn't <laughs> right like, there you go like it's like kind yeah. of in that sort of space um, yeah yeah eventually you get to that place right like not right now but like you know it's not where we are right now with this but once it gets into this moves into that mainstream that's what happens it's such a strange it's a strange space I don't really know what the answer is. I do feel like it's a good segue into like this next question about um, BIPOC or creators. You know, we're subverting tropes all the time. Sometimes just by like showing up and it's like, look, I wrote it. And people are like, whoa, you know, just by existing. <laughs> like it was you. Um, and so do you think about these tired tropes when you're writing or uh, is that not even your focus? Okay, so where horror is concerned I haven't written a horror story yet ah I would argue that this is (laughs) a bit of uh, a horror story though like this is scary (laughs) just so you know yeah yeah um well yeah (laughs) yeah it's true because you you do have different types of of um of horror and yes I it's it's Something like that happened to me. Yes, I, I, I would be horrified. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's something yeah. happening to the body. You know, we could, we could put this under, under body horror. Yes. Um, and, and then I, I feel like this is a good way to underscore like the way, you know, people of color are subverting these tropes. It's like, why can't it be a horror story? Yeah. That's true. That's that's true. Um. I guess because when I was writing it, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. But you know, you, you have opened my eyes to, you know, uh, <laughs> to the possibility <laughs> that maybe it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. Um, right. So I, I try, you know, I try to avoid like cliches mm. um, in in my writing, even though, you know. Other writers might have something different to say about tropes and and cliches, um, but I I I am thinking because I I consider myself a speculative storyteller, so um, 
I, I am looking to exploring other genres, mm. um, you know, within that, that umbrella. Um, but concerning horror, uh, I think when I really get into it, and because I, I think I would need more practice in, in that genre. Um, I, my, my aim would be to, to write a story that is so unsettling, you know, mm. um, a story that rattles the reader so much that the, 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 the terror of that thought stays with them for days. Mm. And what comes to, to mind, um, I like the works of like Jordan Peele and um, and Hitchcock. Mm, mm. I, I'm I'm not gonna get to Jordan Peele. Um, I I haven't watched Nope yet. Oh, but, but I can't um, wait for you to but, watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm really because the trailer had you know got me so excited. Um, but Get Out and Us. Anyway, <laughs> mm. um, because okay, um, where Hitchcock is. Concern. I'm not even going to touch on Psycho. That that scene in Psycho. What mm. did it? What did it for me? Um, is the bird? Mm. Oh my gosh! Yeah, because, because traditionally, you know, when when I thought of horror, you know, it's the jump scares, it's the monsters. Yeah. But I realized that there is more. There is more to horror. Um, the bird. Uh, yeah. the thing, it had such an impact on me that no, okay, there are some black birds here. I, they look like crows. I don't know the scientific name, but they love fruit trees. And so when I see them, they don't, they don't interfere with, with people. Mm. But when I've observed them, um, there is a time like in the afternoon when a flock of them will just like fly overhead. Mm. I it's it's almost like they're going home. But it's it's scary for me because it's 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 so many of them. And when I when I see them flying like that, I remember the birds. Yeah. I I remember um yeah. I remember, you know, Every interaction, everything that's, you know, everything. Yeah. And it's such a great use, like you were saying, in like, how can I pull the rubber band as tight as possible? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, that's what Hitchcock is about. It's all about like the space in between when you know something is bad is going to happen. And when it finally happens, Mm -hmm. you like holding your breath for this other shoe to drop. and yeah, I, I do. I remember that about that movie too. And I also remember that that movie doesn't have a soundtrack, which is another thing that like oh. connects Hitchcock and Jordan Peele is they're very particular. And I think mm. a lot of like, you know, strong horror creators were very particular um, in with sound. Yeah. So like Jordan Peele also has a lot of certain songs that are attached to movies and this and when you see nope sound plays a huge part in it yes 
there are parts where it's like it's just about what you're hearing yeah uh, and I know for Hitchcock that was that was true in the birds like it has it's all the sounds of the glass the sounds of the birds the sound yeah. sound of silence yeah. <laughs> noise, and then when they stop making noise mm-hmm. like that's the sounds track quote unquote mm-hmm. or like a soundscape but there is no like music that's letting mm-hmm. you know like oh the monster is or the killer is in the house and they're yeah. about to jump out you know like that's all actually <laughs> like music that's doing that and letting you know that that's happening um and in the birds he doesn't rely on any of that so it really right. is just like people acting and like when there's sound and when there's an absence of sound <laughs> when you can hear all those birds and when you can't you know right, right. and, and I, I i love that peel and and Hitchcock, um, I, I love that they, they did that because what that showed me is that I don't have to rely on monsters. I mean, in the Caribbean, our monsters are different from the US-centric ones. So, mm, tell me so about it. I, <laughs> yeah, no, I want to hear about I want to hear about like, how are the monsters different. <laughs> okay, so you, know, you have your typical vampire and I I had a thing for vampires once because I watched my first vampire show um there were some reruns of um Barnabas I I watched them with my father um and I I I don't know I it was almost like a love affair Mm. until Twilight (laughs) I mean, don't get wrong. I, I watched Twilight. It's just that I was really horrified at, you know, the whole sparkly thing. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's a, people, people could like, like took that. You could like love it or hate it. Right. You know. <laughs> right. But in the Caribbean, you have the, um, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the Sukuyan. Mm, okay. Yes. Um, in Jamaica, um, it's called the Old Hag, which I think is a patrol for um, it's usually the spirit usually um, appears as an old woman oh. who takes off her skin. <laughs> what? She, she she takes off her skin and um, she transforms. She can transform into a ball of fire or light. I think she can transform Whoa. into something else. Okay. Yes. When she transforms into that ball of fire or light, then she it, it's easier for her to like enter a home because she can do that through a keyhole and then um, transform again. And um, I hope this won't be traumatic to you know to anybody um, who has children, but um, she feeds on the blood of babies. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but she needs to, she needs to return to her skin before, um, sunrise. Hmm. And if, if, if you, if you know where she has hidden her skin, Mm. you can rub salt and pepper on it so that when she tries to put it on, she won't because you know it it irritates her so much, and then not being able to to re-enter her skin, you know the, the sun 
catches her and then that's it for her. Fascinating. Um, yes. But then, um, you know, when she's in her skin, you know, she, she, she goes about, you think that it's, it's an irregular human. But and she presents as an old woman. Because, yeah, she usually, she usually presents as an old woman. You know, that's why they say old hag. I think it could be, um, the hag is probably a, a patch of her hag. So she usually, she usually presents as an old woman. Interesting. And, um, then you have the rolling path, which is another spirit. Um, I think they said that it's when, when the person was alive, uh, like a wicked person, you mm-hmm. they're usually a, a butcher, um, and so the rolling calf usually appears um, on a night when there's a full moon, usually like around midnight, and hmm. you 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 know when it's around because uh, you hear the sound of a chain dragging, and the way to escape it is to get to a crossroads. And okay. if you throw um, things that it's for it to count, you know, like rice grains or like uh, several items, because that's the thing I, I've noticed in, in Caribbean folklore with, with these dockets or spirits, is that um, some of the times that I could distract them, you can throw things for them to count and then you can make your escape. Hmm. But I'm telling you something. Um, well, I doubt that we see anything like that in the city. It's usually like um, in the country. Mm. Um, but I'm telling you something. Last year, when I was on Twitter, um, someone shared a video. I think she's she's in a she's in another Caribbean island. I don't remember if it was Barbados or Bahamas, but she shared a video. And let me tell you. <laughs> The cow, it was night, the cow was feeding on some green. The immortal? The cow was feeding on? The, 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 it was a video of a cow. She, she, she recorded a cow feeding on some green, on some greenery. Okay. Some plants that were like overhanging somebody's fence. Okay. Let me tell you something. The cow stopped and came into the middle of the road. And the eyes were glowing, and she, you only heard when she said, um, "No, no, no," <laughs> because, I mean, that looked like a rolling <laughs> because it had a chain around its neck, and the eyes were glowing. You oh know, so she she made her escape. <laughs> and she made her escape. Yeah. Everybody who commented were like, "No man, that is a rolling calf." You know, um, I love this. I love that everyone is like, I don't believe in these things. And then they see this video and they're like, it's definitely this. You should run like all of the like pretend airs of like, I don't believe in the supernatural just disappeared. (laughs) And everyone was like, run the other way. (laughs) The the chain and the glowing eyes. did Because I look, you know, I, when I saw it, I was like, oh man. I don't believe what anybody said. That looked like a rolling calf. Right. Oh so this, this spirit would, you know, would normally chase 
travelers on you know mm. on the road like if you're walking with normally chase them you know with wicked intentions and so that's mm. why it was advised to try and get to a crossroads and you know it's funny that they mentioned hope crossroads because i i learned that the crossroads is very important in hoodoo but i'm not yeah i'm, yeah. I'm not i'm not african-american so i won't speak i won't speak on that but Crossroads is important. Um, but also in voodoo that, as well, though. Like hoodoo, mm-hmm. voodoo, like most voodoo. of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of them, and maybe even in Santeria, the crossroads oh, okay. matter. Like mm-hmm. that's a powerful space or nexus, I guess. Yes. You yeah. Know? Yeah. chose the metamorphosis of marie mm-hmm. uh, is because of the the sonic like the opportunity the sonic opportunity in 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 the, your story where it's how can we sound design this this metamorphosis how what is it what does it sound like to be underwater what is it mm-hmm. these these one this wonderful countdown where she's like so aware of how long she's been holding her breath and what a bad idea it is to go past a certain amount of minutes and yeah. even just the like kind of fishing that she's doing um and the logistics like the athleticism of that and you know making that making that world that sonic world um was a big part of the reason why I was like oh this one will be fun this will be a fun puzzle mm. to solve and it moves back and forth, you know, through time. So making sure that people can follow it and know like when they're in the present and when they're in the past. And, uh, you know, right now we're recording this and we haven't released it yet, but when this interview airs, it'll be out. Um, yeah. So we're in post-production right now and making, that's like where we are in the process with it, of just making sure that people understand, can follow the 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 movement in time without reading it, right? Like they can... Yeah. Because it's clear when you're looking at it on the page, but you know, it's like the fun, the fun part or the fun like puzzle is figuring out like, okay, but if they don't have the page in front of them, like, and they're just hearing this, how will they be, still be able to follow and know what's going on? Um, so uh, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because the um the idea that came to me when I was writing it was the move the way time moved in the story. I wanted it to mimic the way. The fish navigate through the corals. Mm. Oh, I, I had no idea. Interesting. So that's why it's not linear. Right, right. I the idea came to me to to do it that way so that you know it would feel the way the fish is in and out of the mm. the coral reef. How wonderful! So we're sort of experiencing time how a fish might uh, mm. how fish mm. might. Yeah. Wow, that's great. That's a that's <laughs> cool to know. I did not know that. <laughs> I'm like, huh. um, I'll have to pass that on. Be like, be like a fish when you're thinking. <laughs> um, so 
How does writing help you heal? Or how do you think writing could help people heal? Well, part of it is, you know, getting one's thoughts and feelings on paper. That's, that's always cathartic. Mm. You know, not, not keeping it, not keeping it all in. Um, that, that has always, that has always helped me. And, um, I've noticed though that if the experience is raw and still fresh, mm. I can't touch, I can't touch it. It's like I have to wait a while. Um, mm. yeah, right. But, you, but, okay. But, but if I had to, like, if I had to, like write something painful, what I do is to write it in third person so that I can put some distance between myself and and the pain. Right. Because when I write in first person, um it helps me to 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 understand the the character even more without imposing my will and my thought and feeling on them. Yeah. Um, so so that so that works until I'm ready to really sit with the discomfort. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's it's still it's still a struggle because I have a tendency to that my first impulse is to to run away from pain. Um. But I realized that I, I need to stop that. Mm. So I have been learning to sit with, learning to sit with the discomfort. Is yeah, that why, so. or does any of that have um, any play, any part in writing speculative fiction? You said that you were, you primarily write speculative fiction, yes? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I think it's because. I hmm, you touched on something. <laughs> huh? Because because no, I was saying that you touched on something there because mm. even though, you know, since my childhood I've had um fascination with imaginative worlds, with um futuristic um settings and, mm. and so on. It can be a a form of escape. Mm. It can be a form of escape, but it's not entirely that. Thankfully, I've had certain experience. I had certain experiences in my childhood that I can't explain. Mm. I just, I just said to myself, "Okay, um, the spiritual. Um, I just accept them." Even mm. though I'm the sort of person who likes to get to the bottom of things, but some things I can't explain, I just, you know, I, I just accept it. So that right. is also, so that is also part of it. It's not just like the whole fairy tale thing. It's because of experience, spiritual experiences that I've had. And um, I think the genre chose me rather than the other way. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I did because at one point in time, 
um, I wanted to be a mystery writer because I read a lot of mystery novels um, growing up, among other things. So a I mystery like, writer. Yeah, I thought, but then, no. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I just, when I noticed my writing always had this, the speculative element mm. and um I that's the, you know that's why I have that feeling that that it shows me. What are you working on now? Um now? I'm I'm working on some pieces for submission. Mm-hmm. Yeah I um yeah so this is gonna be a a busy writing year for me. Okay. That's right. Okay. I have what are the eyes. what are these pieces? Are they are is it a secret? Can we like No, hear? it's it's um it's it's mostly a short story because um that's that's my first love. Mm. Um so like short short fiction. Um I do have some places that I'm keen on being published in. Um I'm hoping. Mm, okay. I I you know, it, it would really mean so much to me if, if my work was um, accepted at these places. So um, you know, those are my some of my goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also exploring poetry as uh-huh. as, as, as well. Um, I had a poem that was published last year, so that gave me the confidence to you know, to venture into that area as well and um also in the area of not not limited to speculative poetry. But, okay. Uh so it will be both it will be both short fiction and uh, and poetry. And what are some of these short stories about? Are they also do they also involve transformation uh, and metamorphosis or um so the they they will be speculative because the places that I have in mind, um, that's what they they publish. And, and as and as usual, you know, um, I'll be featuring my culture strongly because. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question. It's like, are not, they still not, in Jamaica? No. Where are they? <laughs> yeah. So, not saying that you know I would necessarily write another story again entirely in but. I'm Jamaican, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll always represent. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Support Spooky Black Chicks with a tax-deductible contribution through the link in the bio or by leaving a rate and review. Tune in next week for our Flash Fiction episode with writer Nicole Juwan Jr., founder of Sea Salt and Honey, Roots Wounds Words, and the deputy director of prison and justice writing at Penn America. Till next time. Next time.